Everybody get warm? Bit tired of being cold? All right. Never tired of getting cold? Awesome. Hey, we continue our series this morning called Bless This Home. And so, again, as we're thinking about this idea of bless the home, we're talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in your home and how do you raise up your children and your grandchildren to be people of faith. And, and uh, the foundation of that is Jesus. And so here Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, we've been studying over the last few weeks, talks about the foundations of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and some of the, the core teachings. And so the very first four of these um, Beatitudes or the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, the very first four of them of the blessings of the being blessed is, has to do with our relationship with him and that this vertical relationship with God. And so that we are blessed when we are mourned. We are blessed when we are poor in spirit because this has to do with our recognition of the fact that he is God and that we are not. And that that's the foundation of being a disciple of Jesus. This is the disciple of us being a follower of him is constantly being, being aware and making ourselves aware and being made aware of the fact that we are human and he is God. And so the amount of mercy and grace that he's bestowed upon us um, should overwhelm us. And so from that, from this recognition of and this continual vertical relationship with God, therefore then impacts the, the relationships that we have with others. And so if we're struggling with our relationships with our spouse or with our kids or coworkers or whatever, maybe one of the very first things that we need to do is actually is to check our relationship with him and that there's this something that happens here as followers of Jesus in our relationship with him. It impacts our relationships out here as well. And so... This morning, we're going to be thinking about this idea of what does it mean to be pure in heart? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so there's this tension that we live in as followers of Jesus, and that how we see and view and interact with other people is actually how we are seeing and how we believe God sees us and how we view him as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, those of you that have been here for the last few weeks, you know that you're supposed to be able to quote all this from memory by now. And um, you have to do that to get out of the door, or you have to tithe like $10 million, okay? So whichever one, or you have to stay in here till you memorize it. You got it? Just kidding. You know we don't do that around here. All right, so here it is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Sounds pretty simple. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How many of you love clean laundry? You can talk back. There you go. Yeah. Woo. I love clean laundry, right? Like you get in bed and you're like, ah, it's fresh. Or you put on a shirt or something. And you're like, oh, it's good. And, and so you know that it's clean. We love clean laundry. There's something about being clean. Well, this idea here in this passage, this being pure is that kind of that has that simplicity of to be pure in heart, that there's a cleanliness that comes with it. And the, the word is catharsis. And so you've heard of that word. You may have even heard of the word cathartic, which means to purge, to get rid of, that we want a, a catheter. We're trying to get rid of some things deep within inside of us. We're trying to, to cleanse out. And so that's what this passage means here is that to be pure is there has to be a cleansing. There has to be a purging. There has to be a, a getting rid of from the inside, from the deep bowels, deep part of our body to get rid of those things so there can be purity. And so that as we come in contact with other people, that people see something different in us, that the stench of our life is the stench of beauty, that people go, there's something different about this person, and you walk by. That's why we put on cologne, smell good juice, right? Seventh graders haven't figured out the right smell good juice. Eighth graders have. 
That's what I hear from, from junior high teachers. Like seventh graders, that hallway stinks. Eighth graders, I don't know, they kind of move up, all right? And so there's this, this transformation that happens on the inside. But this word, even though it seems simple, there's multiple layers to this word. So I want to dig in on this idea of what does it mean to be pure? Clothes washed and a clean body. How many of y'all have ever had corn? You like it in the can best? No, all right? You like frozen corn? How many of you like fresh corn? Okay, so you got to go out to the field and you got to pick it off the stalk and you got to clean it. You got to do the preparation. And so this word carries this idea of the hard work of getting to the corn, to getting to the fruit, to getting to the food, the things that bring nutrients. You've got to clean it off. You've got to winnow it. You've got to get rid of the chaff. You've got to get rid of those things to get there. So the work of being cleaned up to get to that place. It also has this idea of an army that's been purged, that it really they get down to the best of the best of the best to carry out the task of the army because the best soldiers are the ones that are going to be the most effective, that it would be much better for us to have 300 well oiled soldiers doing the task and carrying out what needs to be done than 40,000 because the 300 are actually going to fulfill the directives of the general. And so we see this even in Gideon, that Gideon, whenever he had a task before God, that God put tests before the men and all these different tests and it windowed it down to about 300. Today we would call them the Navy SEALs or the Airborne or something like that, that these are the best of the best of the best, that they've gone through all this process to get to this place. There's been a, a purging of those that, so that we can get to the best of the best soldiers to accomplish the tasks that we need to have, this cleaning out some of the hard work that's necessary. How many of you like whole milk? A couple of people. All right, those of you that still go get your own corn, all right? So whole milk. How many of you don't like whole milk? All right, that is an inauthentic milk. That if you have water, any portion of water in there, then it is not real milk, okay? And so again, this is this idea of pure milk has no water. I'm told that pure alcohol has a little water, right? That this whole thing of wine, the best wine has a little bit of water. And so this idea of the drink should be pure and have a little bit less water. It's not watered down. Metal without alloy that the metals have been brought to the purifier and the heat of life heats it up. And so the impurities come to the top. And whenever the impurities come to the top, the refiner scrapes them off. And then they raise the heat again and they continue to, to raise the heat. So the metal, the, the inauthentic parts of the purity of the gold or whatever metal you're trying to get to, you raise those things out slowly over time and get rid of them so that there's a purity of the metal. Here's an interesting thought that this word carries also, this word of purity. It literally means to be free from debt. Now, how many times when you think of purity, do you think of free from debt? Not very often. It's this idea of no one has a claim on you. Because if you think about it from a relationship standpoint, the best part of having a relationship with someone is there's, they don't necessarily have a claim on you that the motives of your relationship, the motives of doing the things that you do is out of a pureness of your heart that you truly want to do something for someone else with no other motivation that you don't owe them anything, right? And so that for us to receive something from someone else, we don't want it to be out of guilt. We don't want it to be out of shame. We don't want it to be out of, hey, they're trying to match my Christmas gift or whatever. We truly want someone to give to us because they love us and care for us. And so this idea of purity is that there is no debt that you're trying to pay back. 
and that that's truly what a good relationship is, and that's for us as well as followers of Jesus is we've had a debt that we could not pay, that he paid for us, and that there's no way that we could repay that or give that back to him. Also, this idea that you go before the court and you have charges before you and the judge acquits you of those charges and, again, removes the guilt from you, that you have no guilt, you have nothing over you, no charges over you. You can walk out of that courtroom as a free person and the freedom that comes from that purity. The idea of a single focus, that you're moving forward in a single way, that totally authentic, anything without question, to have a pure heart that you've been cleansed from the inside out and this is where transformation takes place this is one of the things that as followers of jesus and in the christian world and in the religious world that we struggle with is that we think that if we do certain things that if we check off boxes that those things will give us a purity of heart that we call it the idea of behavior modification that if i come to church often enough if i go to sunday school often enough if i give enough if i do different certain things, that that will cleanse my heart. And so that is literally being motivated by because we're trying to earn God's love. We're trying to earn something from God. And so that we're still motivated by this debt. But in reality, when we come to understand that we are acquitted of all charges, that we have freedom, that we have, we owe no one nothing, that we have been totally free from that, and we have the freedom then to serve, that our motivation isn't checking off boxes. Our motivation isn't to have different things, earn different things, but our motivation is truly is to show God and to say thank you to him. It changes our relationship, and our identity is one as a child of God and trying to bring him pleasure instead of trying to not get in trouble. So what does it look like for us to have purity of heart? One of the verses that I was taught early on as a young person, because my youth pastor knew me well, was 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. It's a verse maybe you know. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says this, Flee the evil desires of youth. Now this idea of flee is to see that there is something that you struggle with. There's a temptation in front of you. And it isn't to just kind of like, hmm. It is to see that and to turn tail and to sprint the other way. Now, here's the thing I want you to grasp. Is that whenever we came to this place and we said yes to Jesus, in the, the Christian church we use this word of we want to accept Jesus into our heart. And that's a that's a interesting term. It's an interesting idea, sometimes confusing. So what does it mean for us to accept Jesus into our heart so that we can flee these evil desires? So here I want you to grasp is that when we say that we're accepting Jesus into our heart in that moment, before we say yes to Jesus, we are the king of our heart. So imagine my heart is everything I do, the motivations of what I do, my thoughts, my core values, my character, everything about me comes from my heart. Everything I think about comes from my heart. And so here in this place, you are the king of your heart. And so when you do something, it's because you are the king of your life and you've made a decision and you've made an edict and nothing can come against it. And so you make that decision and you go forward because you're the king of your life. But in that moment that you say yes to Jesus and you surrender your life and your heart to him, you then step down off of the throne of the kingship of your heart and you allow him to become king and to reign in your heart. Now, the struggle is for us as followers of Jesus and in our humanity is we always want to try to distract Jesus 
while he's on the throne and to get him, but we think we can get him looking over here in those moments when we should be fleeing because then when we see something that we're tempted by, we want the king of our heart who's now Jesus to be distracted so we can toy around with the things that we're not quite done with yet and we haven't quite bought into the fact that we can truly trust trust Jesus as king of our heart and we think maybe sometimes we can make better decisions. And so we kind of want to distract him so we can kind of get in front and say, okay, this is what I really want. When in reality, whenever Jesus is king of our heart, we get to this place and we see something that we obviously know is something that we struggle with and that we should flee from. Whenever Jesus is king of our heart, he says, flee, that's the edict, flee from this immediately. And whenever we trust the king of our heart as Jesus, King Jesus, then we turn and we run this way to the place of life. And we pursue the things that are life giving because we The king of kings has proven over and over and over again that as king of our heart, he's trustworthy to believe and to follow. You grab me? Okay. So flee from the evil desires of our heart because hear what it says. Along with those who call out on the Lord out of a what? Pure heart. Good job. Now, if you haven't noticed, I wear glasses. How many of you wear glasses or contacts? Okay. I used to wear contacts, but guess what? You get to a certain place with these contacts that even they don't help you. So if you have the far vision, the near vision, all that different stuff, we won't get into technical language, but if you want to see far and near with contacts, you can do it until you get to a certain prescription strength of need, and then no longer do you find the best thing. So with contacts, I could open up my Bible and look at it, and it would look like garbly gook, even with the right prescription, because there's just no way they can meet it. So now I have these wonderful things. And so I'm already telling you, I've got like trifold vision things. I've got to see whatever, you know. And so here it is. And so you know those moments where we need a new prescription and a new perspective. And so this new pure heart gives us a new perspective and a new vision that we've got to, to clear up our eyes. And so this moment of, if I take these glasses off, as cool as they are and as cool as they make me look, at this moment, like right here, whoo, I can see Matt. Okay, and Matt's good looking when I don't have my glasses on. All right? I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So glasses give me a new perspective. I remember the first time that I went to the eye doctor and I didn't even re- realize that my eyes were, were changing and adapting. I wasn't able to see. I just just knew, hey, I needed to keep getting closer and closer to the front of the front of the room and you know the girls were getting cuter and so you just keep moving up to the front of the room so you want to see the board right and so eventually i go to the eye doctor and the eye doctor goes hey is this one better or this one better this one or that one you ever been there this or that this or that and i was like there for five hours and i'm like i don't care i just want to see and so you walk out and all of a sudden you realize that things have leaves like you can see the distinctness and the vividness of it for us as followers of jesus in that moment when we say yes to Jesus and allow him to be the king of our heart, our perspective changes because we don't even realize that our vision is distorted. So right now, without my glasses, I can see even right here, these are on the front row, just because I saw them earlier, I knew who they are, but I cannot even see all they are are thingies with colors. That's it. But then the moment that I put my glasses on, I'm going to go over here. The moment that I put my glasses on, 
who you are and everything, the characteristics about you are, they come out and I see with a new perspective and a new vision. And for us, whenever we say yes to Jesus and he becomes king of our heart, the lenses of life, a proper perspective comes into view. And now we see things as God sees them. We see people as God sees them. And so before, whenever you don't have the proper perspective, whenever you see people, whenever we see and engage with people, they are objects and opportunities for us to use and to benefit from. But now that I put God's glasses on and I now have his perspective, now because of this relationship, therefore I see everyone differently. Instead of someone to judge, instead of someone to use, instead of someone to make my life better, I now want to get into their story and into their life and understand why they are and develop deeper relationships with them because of this. Because I realize in this... I think that I've arrived. I think that I've got it all together. But in that moment that I say yes to Jesus and he becomes king, my perspective changes and I realize how amazing his grace is for me, how amazing his love is for me, how amazing it is he could have judged me, but he acquitted me, how he credited to me righteousness, those faith. And so my adjustment of my eyes, the, even the disease of the eyes that I didn't even realize that I have, have been fixed in this moment. And so now it changes everything. So that's why this, this idea of this here impacts here. And so blessed are the pure in heart because the heart is the seat of our affections. That's why we have to flee those things because our heart still is in those moments, even with King Jesus here, there's those moments that we try to distract him because the affections of our heart want to pull us over here. And Jesus says, no, flee from those things because they're not going to be life-giving to you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Think of it this way is someone who's an expert in some different things. Like, listen, I have a car, but that doesn't make me a car expert. So whenever there's a noise going on in the car, I just go, hmm, interesting. doesn't sound like it's supposed to be happening. So you take it to the Ford store, and the guy that's an expert walks out, and he goes, yeah, that's your starter, that's your whatever. There's an expertise. Why? He has a whole different vision of things than I do. He has a perspective that I don't have. Even at our house, we moved out to the country recently, and as you learned, I'm a horse whisperer now, but also I'm an astrologist. Because we go out to the country, and you can actually see the stars. And so I'm, as being the astrologer that I am, I look up, and I go, hey, there's Orion. Hey, there's, like, there's Sagittarius. There. Hey, there's the Little Dipper. There's the Big Dipper. And then my kids, they get out their little sky view thing, and they're like, mm, no, mm, no, mm, no, right? They're like, you got the Little Dipper right, but, Dad, that's in China. You know, it's not here. And so there's a little bit of expertise that goes into those things, that those things give you a different perspective, right? If you have the right tools and the right things, that there's a purity that, that drives us with new perspective. Even Paul says it this way, the, or actually Jesus says it this way, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, if you're sitting in darkness, you don't even realize how dark the dark is. If you've ever been into a cave, you walk into a cave and they, they kind of turn out the lights in that moment. You, th- you think you have a path to go and then all of a sudden they just turn out the lights and you realize how dark is darkness that you can't even, you could put your hand in front of your face right up to your nose and you can't even see it. That's the darkness. And so this is this idea of the, the eyes of the soul. We don't even realize how dark darkness is. And so we allow God to put the new perspective, the new lenses on, and we realize by his amazing grace how pure 
the purging has been, the transformation that takes place for us. The beauty of that moment. One of the things that this also does is as we pursue this purging, this cleansing, that's a constant, consistent thing is that God is continually working on us and asking us questions. And the, the question that's been resonating with me for about a month or six weeks is the question of, Chris, how well do you love your wife? I think, wow, she's got a house, she's got a car, she's got clothes. God's like, no, Chris, how well do you love your life? In this season of life, how well do you love your life, your wife? That's a deep question. And and so for the first few weeks, I've been rationalizing, hey, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do, and blah, 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 and, and continue to sit on that question. Like, how well... Do you love your wife? See, I'm in a season where I've also got a senior that's about to go off to school. And so that question just kind of comes down and says, okay, how well do you love your wife? But then also, how well do you love this child of yours that's about to go off to school and you've got six months? So you've got six months to impart everything else you need to teach this child. So as they go off to school to make sure that you're sure that you're sure that their identity is in Christ that their identity is not in their grades, that their identity is not in their sports, that their identity is not even in their future career, but their identity is in Christ because stuff is going to happen at college. Stuff is going to happen in adult life, and so no longer am I there physically to be a part of that. So so how well am I loving that child? And so then I also have a 13-year-old that's in eighth grade, and so a boy and, and going into high school, and so what does it mean to be a godly man? And so how well am I loving my son? How well am I caring for him? Does he truly understand that his identity, again, doesn't have anything to do with how good he does at football or, or how well he does at X and X and X? I mean, all of those things are important, but truly is, is your identity as a man of God that when you see other women, when you see other people, that you don't see them as objects to benefit from, but as objects of people as creations of God in the image of God to love and to care for and to do life with. And so as you go through high school, as you go into college, as you become adults, that you can look back and not have some of the same stuff that I allowed the heart, the affections of my heart to be drawn to, that you miss out on so many things. And so when I think about this thing and I think about my ultimate number one job, even before pastor, is to husband to my wife. And to a father to my children. Because if I don't do that well, then I can't do this well. Right? And so what does it mean for us in our houses, men, what does it mean to love our wives well? What does it mean for us to love our children well? What are we imparting to them? What are we teaching them? What are they being caught more than even taught? Because they're, they're going to mirror who we are and what we're about. And, I mean, we laugh about it all the time. Hey, you're acting like so-and-so and you're acting like so-and-so. And it's kind of a joke, but at the same time it's true of like, listen, you are becoming many-me's. And is the many-me that I'm presenting, is the me that I'm presenting to the many-me, is that something that I want my children to imitate? Can I say, as Paul says, imitate me? And that from them imitating me, that other people would see that the disciple Jesus 
who I'm trying to be a student of Jesus and I'm sitting at his teachings and, and here is my children and they're sitting at the feet of this disciple, of this disciple. Do my children, do my wife see someone who's then the many me and then people look and say, they are followers of Jesus. Look at that house, look at that home and look at that spiritual heritage that's happening from that place. Bless this home. Oh God, the pure in heart. Not because of anything I've done, but because of the amazing grace and the purging and the questions that God's constantly asking. Because listen, the last question I want to answer is how well do you love your wife? How well do you love your children? Because that digs deep into our souls. How well are you loving those around you? Let's pray together. Dear Father, we just pray that you would, not that you already don't, but Father, that you would show grace and mercy to us beyond what we even know that we need, even beyond what we know that we can even receive. So Father, I pray for each one of us in this room that you would ask of us this morning, blessed are the pure in heart. Father, that the the purging that needs to take place, the cleaning that needs to take place, the the winnowing out, the cleaning out of the chaff. Father, that is hard work sometimes when we allow you to dig deep and to do the work from the inside out that needs to be done as students and as followers of Jesus. So, Father, I just pray that we would be receptive to that, that our our mindset, our, even our heart set, our body posture would be one of receiving and saying, Jesus, I want this from you. I need this from you. And that, Father, that we would pursue knowing you and this new perspective, these new lenses that you've given us. Father, may we see it as opportunities to care for those around us and to show mercy and grace to those around us that you've shown to us. For blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.